0: And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com where we bring you all the news you need from Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. Who is our intrepid news reporter? It is Linda Stein. Linda, how are you today?
1: Great, Michael. How are you?
0: I'm fine. What do you think of the new radio ads that we're running to promote Delaware Valley Journal? Do you like them?
1: Oh, they're super. (laughs)
0: uh it's fun we just we're always up to some kind of something or other at uh, delaware valley journal and bring you stories that other people in the media aren't covering we've also been inviting all of the candidates for governor and u.s senator to join us here on the podcast and we're delighted to welcome former congresswoman melissa hart congressman welcome to the delaware valley journal
2: it's good to be with you
0: you are the 137th person running for governor that we've spoken to i think if i have the math correct is that right
2: I, I think it's actually 203.
0: <laughs> you might be close. And before I turn you over to uh, Linda, who actually knows what she's talking about, let me ask the dumb person questions. Um, you uh, were last in Congress in 2007. Now here we are in 2022. Why do you want to be the governor of Pennsylvania?
2: Well, it's a question I've been asked pretty much everywhere I go. And what I've been doing the 15 years since I left public service. Uh, working in the private sector as an attorney at a small firm. My clients are individuals and small businesses. For the last four years, I've been on the board of directors of a small bank that is exclusively a lender to small businesses, and we work with them on their business plans and know what's going on with them. I hear from my clients and the customers of the bank because of my government background about how the state has become Basically, an adversary of anyone who wants to invest money, start a business, uh, do a development—it um, just really everything that would grow our economy. See, it seems like the state throws obstacles in the way. And so, when I looked at how I can help, obviously, I've been trying to help the individuals. But running for governor, because I have also 10 years' experience as a state senator, I chaired the finance committee, which deals with taxation, while I was in the state senate. So I have the, I think the broadest experience of anyone who's jumped into this governor's race all, of all those 203 people, and I think the best practical experience to be able to not only win the race because I'm a a woman who's run from Western Pennsylvania, my districts were always registered Democrat though I'm a Republican, but I was still able to win them and serve them, but also because that experience in the in the both public and private sector is something that is going to make it a lot more likely that we can succeed when it comes to moving legislation. I have a lot of friends who are serving now in the legislature and I'm a, a cooperator, a coalition builder, and I'm really focused on the practical.
0: So if you were to become governor, what would be one, of, one or two of the phrases or topics that by the time you were done with your first term, people would be sick of hearing you talk about because they're gonna be such a top of mind focus?
2: Well, I don't know if they'll be sick of it, because when we work on the uh, climate here for anybody who would like to help grow our economy in Pennsylvania, they'll probably uh, be hearing a lot about job growth, uh, more opportunity. Um, they'll probably hear a lot of shocked business owners saying, wow, it only took uh, a few weeks for this particular permit to be reviewed, or it only took a couple months. Versus now where it's up to a couple years in a lot of cases. So
1: my uh, hopefully I have a lot of people saying, wow. So Congresswoman, you're saying it's the economy, stupid. Well, I'm not saying stupid,
2: but it it is the economy, because when you look at Pennsylvania and our history uh, for the last 90 years, every time there's a congressional redistricting, we lose a congressional seat we are not growing at the rate that other states are and when we look at the reasons the reasons are always squarely focused on the opportunity that exists here versus the opportunity that may exist in texas or florida or tennessee where they have a better tax system for example our corporate net income tax here is 10 percent and it's a flat tax so you're paying 10 cents on the first dollar you earn New Jersey has a 12%, but there's is graduated, so you're not really paying that high rate until you're making a million dollars. So Pennsylvania, for example, needs to look at what is driving people out of here. Now, I live close to the Ohio border. They're growing. They're, they're doing very well, and it's interesting. It's obviously not the weather, um, because Ohio has the same uh, kind of winters that we do. So when I look at it, It's things like the corporate income tax. It's things like the regulatory environment. It is this um, attitude that the government bureaucracy has toward the person who's an applicant for a, a professional license or some kind of permit or authorization that's required, where instead of a customer service focus, unfortunately, I think this governor has put into place some managers who just aren't really looking at that. I wanna focus our state on a cooperative way to help people with compliance, to help people with growing their business. There, there, is, there should be common goals here, um, but it, it hasn't worked. And uh, I know a lot of legislators who have had legislation that they've introduced to try to move forward to help grow our economy, but the governor vetoes them all the time. Uh, and, and that's not helpful either
1: congresswoman, um, we have a, a wealth of uh, energy resources, including uh, lots of natural gas here. What would you do to unleash that potential, which is, I think, being stymied now?
2: Well, one of the problems that we have is uh, pipelines. Um, Governor Wolf and his administration has stopped some planned pipelines, especially in the eastern part of the state. I've heard from uh, individuals who were interested and have invested uh, and they have contracts to move forward with development of the gas underneath their land. But there's no place to to send it. Uh, So we need to make sure that we have a very strong network here of pipelines so that those individuals who are interested in developing their property for natural gas and out here in the West, too, there's also they call it wet gas, so we also have oil uh, rich areas that those can be developed and moved to market. And it's interesting because I, I think especially of interest to a lot of the people in your region. Uh, I, I heard a lot about people concerned about sprawl and, and excessive development or what they consider excessive uh, developments out into areas that are more rural. So what I've seen here and as an attorney, I've worked with some farmers who are not able to sustain a business with farming anymore because they were too small, for example but they're able to keep their farms as working farms. So they're maybe still growing some feed and and some other things and able to keep their farms as farms because they have gas wells on their property. And so their neighbors who enjoy living in a more rural atmosphere are able to continue to enjoy that. So I think people need to look, there's always gonna be trade-offs in what we do with our economy. But if we would like to maintain the beautiful mixed character of a lot of our counties where we have urban suburban and rural a lot of those rural areas can be maintained as rural areas when we continue to develop our energy resources
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, our part of the state and that's just great because Delaware Valley Journal obviously our audience is Bucks Chester Delaware and Montgomery counties so why should Republican primary voters in this southeastern corner of the state make you their top pick uh, for the governor's race
2: Well, I think for the same reason, a lot of other people should, but I mean, I understand the state. I think one of the things that attracts voters um, and and has, I think over the years, the last maybe half a dozen or, or 10 years, is that they wanna hear somebody who's an independent thinking person. They want somebody who wants to objectively look at the problems and work with people to solve them. So I understand the mechanics of government, obviously having worked in government, I know how to get things done, but I also, because I'm not tied to it at the moment and I'm not being paid by the taxpayers to run for office, uh, I'm, I'm independent thinking and I'm objectively looking at all of the different issues that our state faces and the different regions of our state face. But I do know how to approach the solutions and to build the coalitions, like I said before, as far as Republicans and Democrats. And I know that the Southeastern Pennsylvania area is often a lot of it is fairly evenly divided or you know maybe his majority voted democrat in the past but that's not something that i see as a hurdle it's something that i see is you know it's kind of irrelevant everyone has problems everybody wants to have their kids get a great education everyone wants to have opportunities uh to make money and, and live a good life and it doesn't really matter what part of they are so when i go out and i talk to people about what i want to do they understand that you know energy development not only helps us uh, bring back the prospect, for example, of more manufacturing now that everybody's frustrated about supply chains, because manufacturing needs energy. And if our energy is more abundant, it's going to be less expensive here. So those are, are connected. We can grow a lot of the towns that have seen hard times. They're they're also in the southeast and they're also in the west, in central Pennsylvania, where maybe one manufacturer used to dominate a town. We can be we can start to rebuild that part of the economy. And I think a lot of the communities over the pandemic have become more attractive to people. A lot of people can work remotely. They're not necessarily tied to living in an area where they can drive to a big city. I think that gives us an opportunity, both for the people who work remotely and the people who may want to live in a, or already live in a small town where we can bring in manufacturing once we connect that energy and, and have the the cost be down. So since it's more abundant in Pennsylvania than really anywhere else in the country, that gives us a real advantage.
1: Congresswoman, you had mentioned education. So I was wondering if you're for school choice and also, would you do anything about the uh, sky high cost of higher education in Pennsylvania?
2: Let's start with school choice. So I'm a huge advocate of having a variety of K through 12 options for parents. I do support the public schools. I, I really I've talked to many teachers who really would like to be able to focus on academics. There's a lot of things that unfortunately have been heaped upon our public schools, it, depending on uh, on where you are sometimes social experiments and testing that really isn't related to academics. I would like to free the schools of those kinds of things. Most parents don't want them anyway and focus our public schools on academics, reading, writing, math, science. Every student in Pennsylvania, when they go through our public schools, they should have a proficiency in those subjects and be able to support themselves. And if our schools, especially the ones that the government is is paying for, are not providing that, all we're doing is is fueling future need for benefits and welfare. So we need to make sure that kids have the opportunity to learn. That's That's the first one and that isn't in in public schools as well, but sometimes the local public school isn't the right fit for a child and parents should have options. And so I support school choice. I believe that the parents ought to be able to direct some of their tax money to the school that works best for their child. So I am a supporter of that. I actually sponsored bills on school choice when we first got them going when I was a state senator. And then the other option, of course, and one that I know is very strong in the Southeast because a lot of the private schools, unfortunately, have closed, is that charter schools are very important. And I know that you know when children have a certain talent or whatever, we, we should be able to support that child. Every child's not the same. So if we have somebody who's especially talented in a certain subject, that child should be able to explore that. If you look at the models in Europe, especially Germany, they do allow some specialization in K through 12, and that directs young people into their future profession. We don't pay enough attention to technical skills. We don't pay enough attention to our votex. We need to make sure that those are strengthened as well. And I think you'll find in our economy right now that people who go into the trades are, are in demand and they're making a significantly high salary. So when parents are worried, oh, I want my child to go to college. They need to probably take a step back and say, what is my child best at and what does my child enjoy? And if that child is is somebody who maybe should be a plumber, for example, they'll probably be the richest guy in the block. But they also need the opportunity at a younger age to explore that and determine if that's the direction they want to go.
1: Congresswoman, um, you had uh, I'd seen in other interviews that you're uh, pro-life. And um, it sounded like you didn't really want to discuss that. However, with the Supreme Court ruling um, uh, pending, that could be very well be an issue in the general election. Um, so what are you going to do when uh, Josh Shapiro makes that an issue about uh, women's rights to abortion?
2: Yeah, there's there's no hesitation on my part to discuss the issue. I think what you heard was an NPR interview with a woman who actually was interested in only talking about that issue uh, in the brief time that we had, I wanted to talk about a broader agenda. So when I'm on record as being pro-life, so, t- so not talking about it would be silly. Um, I have supported and sponsored much legislation that's been signed into law. I was the sponsor of safe havens legislation that passed here in Pennsylvania that saved thousands of babies. So it's important to me and it's important I think to most Pennsylvanians that we support life, that we support a culture of life. I support pregnancy care centers so that moms who are pregnant who are scared or they don't have the kind of support that they need can get it. Uh, I think that's extremely important. So uh, this, this case that's before the Supreme Court, we have no idea how it's going to be decided, at this point in time there's a chance that this U.S. Supreme Court could either weaken or overturn Roe, then that would put the more decision-making authority into the hands of the states because there wouldn't be, uh, or maybe, maybe there wouldn't be a recognized right uh, to an abortion under the U.S. Constitution. So there's a lot that would have to happen for us to move forward. I've spoken with a number of legislators about it. In fact, I did over the weekend as well. And there are a number of bills that have been proposed and, and some that they're drying up uh, in advance uh, so that they're ready in case there is a change. I, I'm interested in, again, creating more of a culture of life. I was at the March for Life I want to work together with healthcare providers and different organizations to support women in what most people would refer to as a crisis pregnancy, because our goal here again if it's to grow the state, we need to give every person um, that opportunity.
0: And let's wrap up with what has become one of the hottest topics in the Republican primary uh, for pretty much every race in Pennsylvania, which is the issue of uh, ballot security, elections, et cetera, and uh, with the uh, overturning, at least for the moment, of Act 77. So two questions. One, we've been asking all the Republican candidates, who won the 2020 presidential race? And two, what, if anything, do you think needs to be done about ballot and election security in Pennsylvania?
2: Well, I mean, it's obvious President Biden is the president, excuse me. So um, he's the president of the United States. So obviously he won the election. But as far as ballot security goes, um, I think people are right to question the way the 2020 election was run and the inconsistency in which ballots were counted and which weren't. And and actually, how they were obtained. So, one of the things, first of all, I'm supportive of the decision that the Commonwealth Court just made. When you read the Constitution on its face, it's clear that you're not supposed to have no excuse mail and balloting here, that there were specific things that the drafters of the Constitution believed were uh, reasons that people shouldn't gather at the polling place on Election Day. I think we're losing a very important part of our community when people don't come to vote. Um, People have bake sales. Uh, Whoever, whoever's involved at the polls is always the person, you know, who kind of stirs up people to come out and they, they inquire about their neighbor's health. In fact, there are some cases where, you know, we've had actually been at the polls wondering if someone's okay, and they'll send somebody to check on a person who doesn't show up at the polls. I mean, there's just a lot of, I think, more community um, centric things that we lose with this no excuse mailing
0: i I remember when election day was fun yes it's fun you go down to the school and you hang out and you see people you haven't seen and you speculate about who's in the line and you make snarky comments about the candidates i mean that that was the thing and you did it every two or four years what's what's i don't understand when it got to be a bad thing to ask people to show up and stand in line to vote
2: well my goal is that people would do it actually twice a year once in the primary and
0: once
2: in the general (laughs) But, you know,
0: the primary voters are weirdos like like you and me. I mean, you know, that's that's the that's the inside <laughs> baseball. But it used to, but but the, it used to be this fun thing, you know, and particularly for seniors, you know, they get up at four in the morning so they can have breakfast by five so they can be standing in line at six. So that everyone who works for a living has to stand behind him for two hours. So that's that's the plan. Right. I thought that's how it worked.
2: <laughs> that may be what happens in your neighborhood. But most <laughs> of seniors around here, they wait until the crash is over. And then they Good for on.
0: them. Good for them.
2: <laughs> but a lot of them actually have been getting involved in, in politics. They volunteer. Sure. Uh, the lady, for example, who's a Republican chair here is a retired woman who's been very energetic and interested in it. It fires a lot of people up in communities, especially a lot of the local elections, to be honest. We had a borough council race in my community that was decided by one vote this last uh, November. So, you know, I I think we missed that. So the public, I hope, will start to think this through now that there's been this challenge. Unfortunately, I know that the Wolf administration has already tried to move it, of course, to the Supreme Court, which is dominated by Democrats. So here we go with courts that are supposed to be nonpartisan, that aren't nonpartisan, that really have become an extension of the political process, which I don't care for. Uh, I've been a supporter of having judges uh, be appointed as much as possible here, but that's just really never gotten any traction. but as far as the the law goes, um, obviously, now that it's uh, you know been invalidated, basically, we need to go back to the drawing board. Uh, I needed to talk to people more about why they think we need this no excuse mail-in voting i mean it started pretty much in the pacific northwest and you saw um elections basically be you know they want to do them remotely where i just the more you distance people the, the less effective i think our type of government is people need to be involved in it um not not sending in a note you know twice a year so my goal is to is to bring back as much in-person voting as we can
0: What's fascinating is that there is no correlation between uh, adding mail-in voting, uh, whether it's in Oregon, California, Colorado, et cetera, and participation of the voting eligible population. Some of the states that have the highest rates have very little. They have absentee ballot, you know, on you know uh, per request only. California has you know super easy mailing, and they have. a uh, balloting and they have one of the lowest participation rates. So that's another fascinating part. Part of a fascinating conversation, former Congresswoman Melissa Hart, thanks much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We appreciate your time. It was good to be with you. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, Sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from delawarevalleyjournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Grant.